UX Podcast Episode 138. Hello, and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. I'm a balancing business technology users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. And we've got a really nice treat today, I think. Uh, we've got uh, an episode with Melissa Perry and Yevgenia Grindlow. And it's actually most of them two talking to each other because we sort of backed off on this one and realized that these, these, these uh, two people are really getting along and they're, they're talking about interesting stuff. So let them do it. And we took like a, <laughs> a back seat to it to it all, which yep, was really nice. It was very nice, and they were the two very smart individuals, mm-hmm. and they were having having real fun um, exercising or, sh- or sharing experiences and exercising their knowledge. And yeah. what we talked about was um, we give a bit of backstory in the interview of why we're talking about it, but we were talking about the about the education gap and the challenge. Um, of progressing from junior to senior to leader, the, the the individual journey that we all go through from beginner to commander. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and how how you f- always feel alone as a UXer, uh, and and uh, Melissa, she uh, works in product management and UX. She's uh, has a background in both product management and user experience. She's been on the show before. She want to listen to that. And, Episode uh, one hundred and twenty. Ooh, excellent. And uh, Yevgenia uh, is based in London, uh, works at Future Workshops. And uh, we had a running joke of James not being able to pronounce her name. Yevgenia. Excellent. <laughs> Yevgenia. Yes. No, Yev- Yevgenia. It's a go, isn't it? Yevgenia. Mm. I still can't do it. <laughs> you still can't do it. And, and I was practicing this morning as well. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Left we also cre- we also crease up a little bit at the beginning. Um, we were having so much fun, so it's one of those yes. ones where we 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 aren't composed. We are not composed, definitely not. In most apps, mobile customer service is just a contact us link that launches an email. UX wise, this sucks. However, using the Zendesk Embeddables mobile SDK, you can improve your UX and bring native in-app support to your app quickly and easily. Learn more at zendesk.com slash UX podcast. So the reason we're four people here is because we actually met Jenny uh, in the break. She came up to us and uh, we started talking about everything and nothing and everything in between. We started talking about uh, education and we started talking about lack of education. And how, and that got got us into thinking that it would be perfect for Jenny to join us when we're talking to Melissa. Uh, the reason being is that um, we had a conversation with Melissa um, on Wednesday evening, um, around, you know, along the similar lines about education and the educational um, gap that mm-hmm. we, we we feel. So, <laughs> Melissa, speaking of education, I attended your <laughs> workshop on Tuesday. Traveled all the way to Lon- from London to Lisbon uh, just for that because I guess it's quite interesting that we have to congregate in these communities around the world to learn about what we do and mm-hmm. hear from each other. Um, how did you get started in teaching workshops? Yeah, uh, I got started really from my first boss. Um, well, actually, he was probably a little bit later of a boss, but um, my first VP of product that I worked under at um, OpenSky, Chris Keen, 
I started um, I started while I was at Open Sky trying to learn more about product management and how to do it better. And he really encouraged me to do that. So he uh, he gave me the Lean Startup. He sent me to to a weekend uh, Lean Startup boot camp from Lean Startup Machine, and he. I wanted to try things like I wanted to try MVPs. I wanted to try different stuff. And he was like, go, go do it. Um, and he gave me all that breathing room to try it. And then when he saw that I was having success with it, he's like, you should teach this. Like you should do a Skillshare class. Skillshare had just come out at the time and they were doing in-person classes um, in New York. So I said, I don't know if I could do that. And he was like, no, go do it. You could do it. So he pushed me to do it. Um, and I put it up and when I showed it to him, he was like, yeah, you're getting people. And he was kind of cheering me on, which was great. And I started doing, it was more of like a one hour, you know, class after, after work, I was going to say after school, <laughs> but no, after work, um, where people would come and listen to it. And then I turned it into an online class on Skillshare for a while, but I didn't really um, enjoy the Skillshare model of things. Uh, what happens is I would, I got like a couple hundred people signed up for the class, but they were trying to promote these really those really big classes by all the celebrities and stuff so they pushed mine down and nobody could discover it so a lot of people didn't even know i had a class out there it sounds quite a lot mm. of people i mean 100 people is a lot. lot of people yeah what's a big class yep and that was in um 2012 that i did oh that right. and nice. it was it was pretty good yeah. uh in it was kind of asynchronous so you could take it out of time and then okay. people would do projects and i would go and comment on the projects which was great and they were really they were really getting it um it was a really great class, and it's funny because I actually interviewed somebody for one of my clients, and she had on her resume that she took my Skillshare class, oh, but sense. she didn't know I was interviewing her. And I was like, oh, how'd you like that class? And she was like, oh, it's a really great class. And I was like, I taught it. And she goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your name sounded familiar, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so that was like Excellent. a couple of years ago, um, which I thought was really cool. And then um, when I started consulting, I uh, even before that, when I started speaking at conferences they would ask me to do like a workshop a three-hour workshop a hour workshop while i was doing the talks and i started breaking that down into the small ones um and kind of developed it from there so the the first one the creating effective mvps one i did um is kind of the big full day workshop that's a little bit similar to the one that i did here that i got started with um just trying to see if anybody would sign up mm -hmm. like i think i did it in either uh, in London or San Francisco it was San Francisco first and I put it out there and my friends at um, Neo helped me like publicize it and a lot of people s showed up and they liked it and then more people asked me to keep doing it and then the lean product management for UX one Bruno reached out to me and said I think um, product management is something that UXers are really trying to learn and to get into and I saw that a lot too as I interview more um, people about trying to take my product management class the people who are interested there's a huge segment of UX people there mm -hmm. and they usually say too that they want to get into UX because they're not allowed to make product decisions or feature mm -hmm. decisions which yeah. I'm hmm. vehemently against mm -hmm. I don't think I think like product and UX should work very heavily together um, so when I came here and did that, I was really excited to see like the UX community here was so into it. And like, you know, Jenny, your, your class was really awesome. It was like one of the most engaged classes I've ever taught on this stuff. And yeah. everybody was really into it, which was really cool. We Fantastic. loved it. We loved it because I think whether we like it or not, mm -hmm. product discussions and decisions and considerations end up popping up, um, especially in our in our agency, for example, we are a small team. We're only 22 people, all in all, and most of those are developers. And then we've got two UX designers and two UI designers, and it it ends up being that the more we get into the realm of 
helping our clients along with thinking about the product side of what they're building and why they're engaging with us and what they want to build and why and what's going to do for their business, who it's for. A lot of that ends up falling on the shoulders of the people who do UX. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the main reason we came and we're so obsessed with getting into your workshop. It's because I think, you know, Alan Cooper was talking about um, how um, small teams do the best work because they're able to share information with each other. Same for us when we were a smaller agency, we we're sharing information with each other. And I think maybe because we lack these really formalized institutions to teach us how to do things the right way, we end up crowding together and have a conversation of, well, what are you doing and what mm-hmm. are you doing and what's mm-hmm. working for you? And anybody who's willing to do that is just so valuable because you, you kind of wish you could teleport to all these different companies and teams and see how they're working, which is why your workshop was brilliant because you gave real examples and you talked to issues and challenges that we face every day. So it, it was amazing to see someone from a totally different country in completely different, wor- having worked in completely different environments, having that empathy without even knowing that you're ex- exerting that empathy. It was just your experience and it, it makes it okay to have had the same challenges before. And of course, then you give some practical tools to deal with it as well. Because there is a, <coughs> I mean, the, the workshop here, of course, would be one reason why it was unique is because you've got such a mix of, of nationalities, probably a much larger mix of nationalities than you would normally have in one of your workshops because of the nature of, of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that does open a, um, open a window into mm. lots of worlds um, at the same time, very varied ones, but at the same time gives you the feeling that, you know, everyone is pretty much sat in the same boat. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> I find, like, um, so when I, when I decided to try to do this online school too, what I what I did is um, I put up a landing page, a really terrible one, and I people signed up, like <coughs> a couple hundred people on the mailing list now, which is great. Um, but I reached out to those people and I said, "Can you sign up for like a thirty minute interview? I really want to get to know you and um, understand what your challenges are, so I can so I can really address them." And I found there's one faction of people who really do want to. Um, kind of find a better alternative for general assembly type thing mostly it's because general assembly is just very expensive but they're never really worked on a product team before never really try to develop software and they want to become product managers so a lot of them were coming from marketing backgrounds or um, from even outside of the tech world they were like from agencies and they were trying to get into it so there's those people they were less than I, i think like less than a quarter of the people were like that um but then there's these people too who are kind of in UX roles and tech roles and they're not a PM yet, but they want to become a PM yet. But they do have all this foundational knowledge of how do we build software? They just don't know what the PM role is specifically. Mm. And then there was this huge group of people who are PMs in this company. They have absolutely no idea what they're doing. So they got hired in <laughs> and they're just like, I'm flailing. Like I, I don't know what we're supposed to do. And this happens everywhere. Um, I see it on my clients too. They, they just get dropped into these roles with no support, with no senior people who have ever done this before. They usually report up to um, a business side, like a mm. marketing manager instead of a, like a product owner, mm. um, or I guess product owner is a bad word because it's, it, that's more of the lower level. But like a VP of product, they don't have anybody on that C-track you know, product line to actually mentor them and develop them. So they're kind of like these little islands all alone just trying to figure out what to do. Mm. 
um, prioritizing their backlogs and going through the motions of Scrum, mm -hmm. but they don't understand the theory behind what they're doing that or like why they should be doing it or what are the right practices to do it. Um, and when I saw that, I was, you know, I, I felt like that was always this huge gap that I was trying to, to do with my workshops. Um, the challenge, though, uh, through workshops, too, is that I only get one day. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's, I guess, probably spend like, you know, at least a month teaching people every single day a mm -hmm. different skill, um, which is really, which is really hard, which is why I wanted to try to figure out how to, how to educate people better. Um, how to actually get all those little pieces and let them pick and choose what works for them. And I think that's something too we don't address in education when we do these things. Like my workshop's one way of doing it. Is it the way to do it? Probably not. Um, you, might, like, you might find that incredibly useful for where you are. Um, and then you might be faced with these challenges where your structure of your environment and your corporation doesn't allow you to do hypotheses, which mm -hmm. is a whole nother animal. Right. right. It's like then you have to go in and do a whole corporate change. And that's kind of what we were talking about yeah. on Wednesday night. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't go to your workshop, but mm -hmm. I, it seems like the reason people sympathize with the way you teach is mm -hmm. because you're not talking about a defined structure. You're talking about a process. Yeah. And that's your message all the time. It's not about the product. It's about the process. Mm -hmm. So that overarching message, is that I think is what appeals to everybody and, and the way you teach is my impression. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, have to, yeah. I have to agree with that. Yeah. And also yeah. that you're aware of different industries and different contexts. The fact that you just were able to say that, that there are different environments that people are in and your process or your methods might not work. And in fact, you're the only person that I've attended a workshop with who were able to answer my question about how do we apply this to the agency model? Because at Future Workshops, we build apps for clients. Mm -hmm. We say, we, well, we like to say we build apps with clients. Mm -hmm. And we love our clients and we partner with them. And I've learned so much about things I would never in my life be knowledgeable about, like golf and banking <laughs> and governments. And, yeah. you know, you, you learn so much. But it does come with the downside where you don't have the longevity that allows you to iterate and see the results of the product. You don't always become involved in the stages when you need to. Mm -hmm. There are those challenges. And I think you highlighted one really important thing, which is you have to have the right leadership or be able to have an in with management for them to support at least the, the premise of what you're trying to achieve. And there are ways to do that. It, it's not that you need to find a CEO from heaven, mm -hmm. like I say about Matt, <laughs> our, <laughs> our CEO, who pretty much has hired me with no experience and said, make UX happen, mm -hmm. and has since been passionate about changing the way we sell and which clients we have and how we work, and really open for that. And But not everybody has that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, again, you have to figure out is that okay for me? Do I want, this is a conversation I have with my team a lot, where we say we come against these challenges that make work hard. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, you have to decide if it's okay for you, if, if you're happy to continue to push and, and change and, and lead a change in our company toward what you want, or if you prefer to work somewhere where that's already in place. And I think either one of those is a valid choice. Mm -hmm. And I say you have the space to do this. You can change things. You can mm. bring your own ways of working. You can ask questions. You can yell at me. It's okay. But if you feel that that's too much work or you prefer to have a different structure, that's okay too. Because I can't recreate our business model. I can't de-agency ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, as much as I would love to work for 
for a company where we're building something that saves children's lives every day and we have unlimited budget and we get to ship every week and everybody loves each other, that's not the environment we're in. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you. I think, yeah, I think that's really strong what you're saying. Uh, And it's something that we we started talking about on Wednesday night at dinner too, that there's only, um, I think James put it, you you probably explained it better than I can, what you said. I I get the question quite a lot about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do I get UX into into the organization? Mm -hmm. Um, And and the answer I feel normally to that is, well, it's, it's more a question of where do you want your career to go? I mean, do you want to... Do you want to spend the next five years of your career working with organizational change, or, ma- or majority of your time working with organizational change? It'd be like a hundred percent. And the various complications involved with organizational change and getting buy-in from the organization to change. You've got to have people on your side to even mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. start to implement change, and then it'll take five years to implement it, depending on the size of your, of your organization. Normally, we're talking about slightly bigger organizations than 22, 23 people. And then the other side of it is, okay, but if you want to do UX, if you want to do that thing that you burn for, that you, you know, you've, you've really enjoyed doing, then you know, that's, your, that's your gateway. You're at, you're at that fork in the road. Um, and yet you can, you can maybe mix them a little bit, but it's a, I think it is, in a lot of cases, a black and white choice. And if you want to go for UX or product management or whatever it is, that's the thing, you change job. Exactly what your your advice mm-hmm. you're giving to your team. That yeah, you know, or you create your job. Or you yep. create a job because mm-hmm. you know a lot of times we say we want to make a difference. We want to work more lean or more agile. And I know mm-hmm. these are mm-hmm. uh, very heated words. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the agile grandma. It, this is my <laughs> favorite thing of the conference. <laughs> oh, is, that was a slide. Is the slide in <laughs> Melissa's talk that had this old lady with a jar that said MVP on it. It just said, I slapped this on everything. Yeah, <laughs> and it's from the Frank's Red Hot commercial. People <laughs> 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 we'll see it in the US. Yeah, but <laughs> I think like if, if you mm-hmm. want your company to, to see uh, learning the right way or if you want to do UX in the way that you're burning to do it, you could spend time looking for a place that would allow you to do that, or you could create a place out of the pieces that you have in the organization where you are. Mm -hmm. So for us, rather than carrying a big bitter flag and saying everybody's doing it wrong, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we started small and we started sneaking things into Mm -hmm. our process and showing value and doing the, the, the footwork to show people that these ways of working are better and that they do deliver value in ways that they understand. Mm-hmm. How do you get started like with that too? I guess the, the biggest question everybody asks too is, okay, if I do want to start small, what do I look for? Like, what do you think made you successful in that piece? I think um, one of the, I have to give credit what credit is due. I read a book before it was published by Leah Bewley, um, mm-hmm. UX Team of One. I saw that she was writing it and I completely just became obsessed with waiting for it to come out and eventually I emailed her and I said can you just send me anything do you have notes can I (laughs) I need this right now because I'm working in this space and I just got hired and I have no idea what I'm doing and she sent me the the draft and I got to give her some feedback which was amazing and just uh incredible to have done that across the ocean as well and um some of what I took away from that was, A, you have to be able to empathize with the goals of the organization that you're in. Even if you disagree with those goals, you need to learn to speak their language and find ways to show value to them. And she speaks to that a lot in her book, and she gives methods to do that, whether it's as small as doing usability test in your backyard <laughs> for five minutes for free yeah. or in your free time, and then saying, look what we found. And it really changes people's 
mentality, I think, when you're able to show them real things rather than、mm. talk about it. Because I think everybody gets behind big statements. You know, we can work better, we can be more agile. But unless you find a way for it to work in the context you're in,、mm. it's, there's, the gap is so big between the dream and reality that eventually I think it, it burns people out to try and, and work that way and force it. Yep. The key part there, though, is that you, you, you had an. In your small organization, you did have an organizational culture、mm-hmm. that was open enough to allow you to sneak in those small bits.、Mm-hmm. Now, if you come from an organization where it, it's very rigid and there's a tradition in that organization of, of, of dogma or processes that、mm-hmm. are like dogma,、mm-hmm. then you know, coming in with any new mindset or way of working or new process. Is going to be like driving a truck into a brick wall. So, we work with National Grid, RBS, Credit Suisse,、um, Money Advice Service, and they're bigger organizations. Some of them are massive, IBM.、Um, and I, I don't want to say, you know, I, I think they, that they work with dogma or anything like that, but they definitely have big structures, siloed teams, really rigid processes, a lot of constraints and regulations. And what I'm seeing in those organizations is one of the ways that they Go around、um, the difficulty of, of somebody from the inside speaking about this and making themselves a scapegoat is that they bring people from the outside、yep. to consult or to educate. Yeah. And yeah. I got to fly to India and teach a team of RBS developers about user experience, which was surreal.、Yeah. Um, and, and do things like that where they get to, if they disagree, they get to shout at me or say, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Or they get to say, Hey, this new person brings something in that might be valuable for us. Should we try and adopt that?、Yeah. And I think that's one of the ways big organizations are, are doing that through education and bringing consultants in as well. Yeah, it, does, it definitely does help when you have an outside force. And I usually, that's usually how I come in.、Um, and I don't want to say like, you always need a consultant, but it sure helps. And at the end of the, like, at the end of every engagement, I feel like I'm the person who's, I'm like the kicked dog, you know, <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> like, through all, through all the bad stuff on me. And、mm-hmm. I'm kind of everybody's enemy and I leave. But,、um, every, like, the people I work with come back, like, six months later and go, oh, it's finally working. Like, things are, things are changing. And, you know,、uh, the developers I work with, especially, and the product managers I coach rather than the senior executives are all like, you know, I see what you did, and it's been so much better、mm. here now, even though <laughs> it might not look like it to the upper management. And I think upper management, too, when they, when they see changes like this, right?、Um, the problem is like the communication about what agile and UX and lean and all those wonderful buzzwords will do for、mm. your organization. Because、um, people usually sell it, and consultants as well are usually the, the bad guys here, who come in and sell it as like, this is going to change your life overnight.、Mm. And All of a sudden, you're just going to sprinkle some lean on that and you'll have money, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that, that's it.、Um, but they don't, and you get like giant corporations like、uh, McKinsey and these guys. McKinsey is the one who's on this right now. And、mm-hmm. I know for a fact that a lot of people are kind of jumping in and trying to mop up a little bit of those messes.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they, they come in to teach Agile and then they leave.、Um, and they do it. In a way to sell it to the organization as this is going to be cheaper and faster for software, right? So you're now going to have software that's cheaper and faster. But they don't talk about building quality in. And that's like what Agile is all about it's about people and it's about building quality in. So you get things in front of people. So you learn、uh, more about what they want and then you can develop it. You can release value faster. It's not about 
building the whole thing faster. It's maybe it is if you're actually practicing good, you know, bug control and um, building the quality in, you'll mm. get it out faster actually. But um, it's not, that's not the end goal. It's to deliver value faster to the user. And lean on the other hand, like lean startup type principles that we apply to product management, which w the workshop was about, is all about making sure that you're building the right stuff for your customers. So they have to work together, but those communications get lost a lot when uh, people come and sell it, like what the business wants to hear. Because the business doesn't necessarily care about that, right? Like they're, they probably do care about, I think individuals in the business care about it, but the business as a whole, the way that the machine operates is more concerned with bottom line profits mm. and um, hitting the metrics that are mm. set for them, right? Yes. And that's all about mm. cheaper and faster. Yeah. Um, mm. So it kind of shirks the quality piece of it that um, gets left by the wayside. And then product management is really the quality piece of it is making sure that we're building the right stuff for our users and this is what they want mm. and this is going to be our opportunity to succeed in the market. Um, and that is such a wildly misunderstood role where people think it's more about just scoping what gets into releases and grooming backlogs. Um, and that's the action that you take for product management, whether that's good or bad. I actually don't believe in backlogs, but um, which is super controversial to people. <laughs> but uh, that's because you know, that's just the motions. You don't understand why you're doing it. Yeah. And the why is the most important piece of being a product manager. Like understanding, w like we're building this for our customers. There's an opportunity out there in the market that we're fit for purpose as a business to actually solve. Let's go after that. Mm. Um, this is how we're gonna get there. Like they miss all that piece when they tell people to just go groom a backlog and that's your job. Mm. Do you think it's possible or how would you go about spreading that value or, or the why behind product in an organization that's large enough that it's not enough to just shout at once in one room. Okay, you'll get the answer to that question in part two. So be sure to uh, uh, stay tuned for that. In part two, we will be um, looking more into, as well as the answer to, to, to the question you just heard, we're going to look into um, or education of leaders or how you how you become a leader how do you learn to do what you need to do as a as, as a leader um, yeah and asking why why are we doing stuff and the importance of metrics and goals and that will be out next week um, if uh, well, th thanks to Zendesk for sponsoring this episode and remember to visit zendesk.com slash UX podcast to find out more about their in-app support um, stay tuned as said for part two of this interview which will be out next week um, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, um, sorry, Google Play Music, to give it its full name, isn't it? Ah. Um, <laughs> SoundCloud, oh, you know the drill. Um, we're available wherever you want to listen to us. Show notes and episode archive are on uxpodcast.com. Um, thank you for lending us your ears. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? A really bad visual designer. A really bad visual designer who? Listen, do we really need the knock, knock? Can we move line two, three pixels to the right? And I thought we agreed on Helvetica. This is Ariel.